So continuing in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14 is where we're going to be this morning. Galatians 3, 1 to 14. And last week we, we talked about justification, that we've been justified by faith and faith in Jesus Christ. And this week we're going to take a look at sanctification. Sanctification is the act or process of acquiring sanctity, of being made or becoming holy. Justification is not having our sins counted against us, and sanctification is the process of getting better, becoming better people, becoming holy, becoming more like Christ. It's how we act. It's how we live. Last week we focused on how we are justified by faith. How are we sanctified? Reading in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. O foolish Galatians, Paul writes, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then, that is, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged. On a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. And Lord, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Paul, writing to the Galatians, looking at the Galatians church from afar, he sees a confused body, a confused church. And in the beginning of our passage today, he sends out a a volley of questions, and, and though they're rhetorical, they point to the essence of the debate, the essence of the struggle in the church in Galatia. The first big question he asks is in verse 2. Where he writes, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did you receive the Spirit? 
Did you earn the Spirit? Was it something you did that caused the Holy Spirit to settle upon you? Were you just an amazing person in action, thought, and deed? So that God was like, how can I not give the Spirit to this person? I mean, just look at them. So awesome. Or was the Spirit brought forth in you? Something that the message of the gospel evoked in you? Was the Spirit something you were given? So that becomes the big question of the passage. How did you become a Christian? Is it something that you did to earn it? Or was it something that was given to you? Let us allow Scripture to answer that particular question. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 9 reads, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Our righteousness does not come from the law, but from faith in Christ. And faith comes from? Well, let's flip back a little bit earlier in Philippians. We read Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. For the sake of Christ, we are able to believe in Him. So because of Christ, we can have faith. Not of our own volition, not of our own effort, but because of Christ's effort, because of Christ's work. Now let's flip to, to Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has assigned us our measure of faith. He has given it to us. Again, not something we instigated, but something He provided. Something He instilled in us. That He assigned us. Romans 10, verses 14 to 7. How then will they call in Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We come to faith through hearing, and hearing the word of Christ, the word of the Lord, the Bible, the proclaimed scriptures that He has given to us. So again, how do we receive the Spirit? By faith or by works? By faith. By faith. If we're up to works of the law, each one of us would be helpless. We would each be condemned. We're not saved because of our works. Our works are not salvific but because of God's grace. He gave us 
Christ Jesus before time began in order that we might have an avenue of salvation. It is not something that we can do of our own accord or according to our own ability. We're saved by faith. The faith that was brought forth in us by the power of God's word, the seed of faith that he planted and nurtured to life in the soil of our hearts. So the second big question that Paul asks following up in verse 3, again, cuts to the heart of the conflict. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Man, I love that question. Paul is just heaping it on. Just as we today know that we receive the Spirit through an act of God, so did those he is writing to in Galatia. They know they didn't receive faith faith because of acts of the law. They're Gentiles. They didn't have the law in the first place. And yet, they believe. Yet, they're Christians. And so here is Paul throwing it right back at them. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Essentially, Paul asks, Christ enacted salvation in your life. Are you now able to perfect that salvation by your works? God established faith in you, gave you your faith. Do you now need to be circumcised and eat the right foods and dress the right way in order for that faith to be legitimate, in order for your faith to be real, in order for your faith to manifest fully in order for your faith to be perfect. Paul's question to the Gentiles is so incredibly relevant for us today. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In his message given at Concordia Seminary, Tullian Shavijan states that he fears that many Christians today fail to distinguish between God's law and God's gospel. And I'm inclined to share his fear. Do we depend on the law to do what only the gospel can do? It may not be stated to us outright, but through the influence of many popular Christian books and some influential preaching and other mainstream Christian media, or maybe better stated, mainstream Christian culture, we are led to believe that the focus of the Christian faith is the life of the Christian. I'll say that again. We are led to believe that the focus of the Christian faith is the life of the Christian. Do you find that to be true? Do you recognize this trend in our Christian society? spent some time uh, working at a Christian bookstore. And it was, I mean, it was kind of an awkward situation. It was a Christian bookstore, and the manager, she was just eclectic. She was a little weird. And I, I was the only guy that worked there, and I was the youngest one that worked there, so they, normally they put me in the music because I was in a band, and they're like, that, that's just where you belong. You just, you go to the music. We don't know anything about the music, so that's your place. Don't leave it. 
unless we need your help at the till. And then, you know, they needed my help at the till. So I'd go up and we had these little books that, that you would have to like try and add on. I mean, those of you familiar with retail, you got your add-ons at the counter, you're trying to sell more. And it was like these little $5 books. And they tended to be basically just, it's just Christian self-help stuff, right? I mean, that, that's a big thing in, in Christian culture and Christian society right now is Christian self-help. Let me figure out how to better myself. Now, there isn't anything wrong with bettering ourselves. There's nothing wrong with living a moral life. We're supposed to be doing that. That's a good thing. But if we're depending more on that than than leaning on Scripture, if that becomes a, a bigger thing, how am I going to live? If the Christian life, if the Christian faith becomes about how we are living the Christian life, then we begin to lose it. We begin to lose the gospel. I remember selling. I mean, it's, you got all these different things in the Christian bookstore. You've got your, 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 your power of a praying husband, your power of a praying wife, your power of a praying dog. You, you, you've got them all there. The, the five love languages of... And, and they, they, they put them all in. And I mean, you've got it for your teenager and for your daughter and for your son. And it's a, it just becomes this marketing thing where we're going to try and sell you self-help books. And we buy into it. We sold more of that stuff than we sold anything as far as getting into the scripture, getting into the, the word. So much of it was, how can I better myself? Give me the law so that I can live better and be more pleasing to God. So I ask Paul's question again. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now being brought to completion by the works that you perform? By the works of the flesh. Is our focus on our love for God and what we do for Him? Or is it on God's love for us? What He has done for us? Perhaps the best way of approaching this question is to ask a different question. Do we as church, as Christians, understand that the gospel is for us? We readily understand that the gospel is for the unsaved, for the heathen, for the atheist, or, or generally speaking, for the lost. But do we recognize that the gospel message is for the believer as well? The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross for the sins of man. That his blood covers us. And that because of that covering, because of his blood, we are seen as white as snow in the eyes of the Father. And this is often seen as entry-level Christian stuff, right? Meant largely for evangelism. The train of thought that continues from there is that after God saves you, He moves you from entry-level evangelistic gospel stuff into something different, something deeper, something more meaningful. Chivijan puts it this way. Once God saves you, he doesn't move you into something beyond the gospel. He moves you deeper into the gospel. And we never outgrow our need to hear, it is finished as Christians.
we never outgrow our need to hear, it is finished. The gospel message is for us. This isn't a, well, now that we're saved, we need to maintain the salvation relationship. It's not a God has saved us, and now it's up to us to stay saved situation. This is a God has done it for you from now through eternity promise. In his commentary on Galatians, A. Andrew Doss puts it this way. The quest for spiritual perfection can lead an individual astray from the genuine power available to the believer through the steady focus on the crucified Christ and his spirit. Our focus is never to leave the cross. As we keep our focus on the cross, the things that are considered fruit of the Christian life, the things that we are supposed to do, the moral life that we're supposed to live, they begin to naturally manifest as we focus on the cross. As we focus on the cross, our need and our lack of ability become increasingly clear. Our importance is put in perspective. Our dependence on God, on Jesus, and His salvific work on the cross on our behalf is highlighted. As we focus on what Christ has done, the Spirit moves in our lives, and the fruit of the Christian life manifests itself. Titus chapter 2, 11 to 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God trains us. It is God at work in us that enables us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It is God at work in us that enables us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. We're sinful humans. And so failure comes with the territory. And there is grace for that as well. As we repent and continually recognize our need for Him, our need for the cross. Romans chapter 7, verses 4 to 6 reads, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Absolutely not. Having begun by the Spirit, we are continuing in the Spirit, continuing in His grace. As we continue in our verses today, we see Paul emphasizing the answers to his rhetorical questions by continuing to present to the Galatians the true gospel. Verse 7, Know then, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
We are not heirs to the promise of Abraham because of how we keep the law or the works that we have performed, but because of our faith. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The law does not have power to save us. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ has the power to save us, to redeem us from the curse of the law, and he did so willingly, becoming a curse for us. He let himself be hung on a tree because of our sin, because of our need. Our need was so great that the only possible payment was that he die for us. In verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Through faith. All of this through faith. So back to the question from the beginning. If we are justified by faith, how are we sanctified? That's the same answer. By faith. Our culture, particularly our our Christian culture, puts emphasis on what we must do. How we should respond to the gift that God has given us in Christ Jesus and His Son. And with this expectation can come guilt and depression because we can't do it. We do not have the ability to enact on our own. We're on our own, participate in our sanctification. We're a broken, needy, sinful people. And because we cannot do it, Christ has done it for us. God has done all of the work. The message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, has brought forth faith in the hearts of his people. Like the Gentiles in Galatia, we do not need to be circumcised to be heirs of the promise with Abraham. We do not need to participate in the law in order to be worthy of saving. We are heirs to the promise through faith. We are heirs to the promise through the faith that has been instilled in us through the working of the Holy Spirit and the gospel that has been preached and we have heard. And that gospel calls us to look at the cross. It is at the cross that Christ proclaimed, it is finished. It is at the cross our hope rests. Christ became the curse for us that we would no longer be the cursed. As you leave here today, Go in the knowledge that it is what Christ has done for you. The faith that He has instilled in you that justifies you before the Father and sanctifies you as you live.